0: Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. Today's message is titled, The Rescue, and it is part of the Saved Sermon Series. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, check us out at our website at bccma.org or send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. Uh, I have something very special here today. It was handed to me on the way in. I'm not going to tell you why. I'm gonna listen up. But it's called Salvation Sauce, Ghost Chili Hot Sauce, and it's an actual full full Bible. I, I'll read this when I travel. It's an actual full Bible. <laughs> And so at Bethany, you can tell your friends we have the secret sauce for (laughs) salvation. And I'll I'll show you in a minute. In a a few minutes, you'll see why that was cool. That Jim Dayan handed that to me when I walked in today. And maybe, maybe hot sauce is connected to cleansing one's soul. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Colossians chapter one verse thirteen. I want to talk about the rescue today. The word salvation, sozo, means rescue. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 verse 14 says, For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Hold that thought because that's the text we're going to talk from today. And we go to Luke chapter 1 verse 74 It's Zechariah, or John the Baptist's father, who says we have been rescued from our enemies. He's prophesying so we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. So that's the plan of God for my life and your life. To saved people, Jesus is the hero in their hero story. Jesus is the hero in their rescue story. If you think, you rescued yourself, or you are rescuing yourself, then you need to understand more. <laughs> You're possibly not saved if you think you are rescuing yourself, or you need to rescue yourself. I get the impression from some people that they've bought the do it yourself salvation kit, and they're quite proud of how they're putting it together. People who get it, though, know without him, I can do nothing. Christ is the Savior, not you, not me. The 155 passengers on U.S. Airways flight 1549, January 15, 2009, experienced salvation. They experienced physical, being physically saved. When uh, pilot Ch- Chesley Sullenberger, known as Sully, flying his plane uh, uh, leaving JFK Airport and birds hit both engines, both engines went out, and he had to bring that plane down to the Hudson River. And he so expertly brought that down, and it was such a great hero story that uh, Tom Hanks actually played Sully in a movie with that title. And every person on that plane who experienced that day and that that time when Chesley Sullenberger uh, calmly brought that down into the Hudson River and uh, stayed on the plane walked up and down the aisles three times he went back and down the aisles as the plane was sinking into the water to make sure every single person on that flight got off safely that's so we're right to call him a hero he was the hero of the rescue story not one single passenger on that plane would dare tell you all 155 were saved the first time in history anything like that ever happened, that, that everyone survived a water landing. It, and if you ask any one of the 155 who were saved that day, were you, did you save yourself? Did you do anything to make this happen? Every one of them would say, no, we did not contribute the only thing we contributed is by sitting still. The only thing, the only way we contributed to being saved that day is we did, we didn't do anything. <laughs> we just kept our seat belts f- fastened. They probably, probably went through the drill and putting their uh, head down in their lap and the whole thing. They probably did what they were told to do. They just held steady. They would all say to you that Chesley Sullenberger is the hero of our salvation story what is who's the hero of the story of your life I have you know I have a big ego sometimes I have a hard time admitting that I'm not the Savior that I'm not the man that I'm not the person that my efforts are not what's causing this to happen we are rescued by a Savior according to our text we're rescued from three things Number one, we are rescued from poverty, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. We could focus on the word darkness, but I want to focus on the word kingdom, or the King James Bible uses the word dominion. We are translated from a dominion of darkness, a dominion of poverty, a dark place, to a dominion of privilege and light. The word kingdom there actually means, actually translated by the, into the, from the Greek, is the word privilege. Also, force, capacity, or competency. It, it's, it's going from being marginalized to being honored. From exclusion to access. A perfect illustration. By the way, I want to give, I want to give Tim Keller uh, credit for Helping me understand salvation, some of the couple of the illustrations I'm going to use today I got directly from Keller, and so I want to make sure and give him his honor uh, for helping me, giving me vocabulary for understanding the work of salvation. But one illustration that Keller uses is this illustration of marriage, and I believe a very perfect illustration of Christ salvation for you. It's, it's a perfect picture is of a very wealthy person marrying a very poor person. Now it's very possible that the poor person in that union may have been quite irresponsible in their life and so that was why they were poor because they squandered away opportunities. They were not diligent as they should have been or they made some really bad decisions. They may have wasted their money. They may have wasted opportunity to make money. They may have made a lot of bad decisions. Or maybe they made good decisions, but they, the best they could possibly make. Maybe they were born in a place, in a time, in a place and where there just weren't opportunities. Maybe they were born into a family. Or maybe they were born into an area where there wasn't a good school to go to, and there, there, wasn't, uh, uh, there wasn't any opportunity for upward mobility, it was just very, very difficult, and where the the rich person may have been born into a family and a place and a time where there was great opportunity and kind of born with a silver spoon in their mouth, or it could be the other story, it could be that the wealthy person, the rich person was poor too, but they just worked hard and they just... Just push past all kinds of problems and, and all kinds of disadvantages. And they, 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 they pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. And there's plenty of those stories around. But you know, it doesn't matter. One second after they say, I do. And one second after they say, I do. Everything that the rich person, man, man or woman, everything the rich person has becomes the property of the poor person. The minute they're joined together in holy matrimony. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the poor person did to be poor. It doesn't matter how they got that way, how they got in the situation. They're not poor anymore because they're married to a rich person. They share everything. They now have status and they now have privilege. They now have standing because they've been saved they've been saved from poverty by a covenant relationship. That's exactly what happens to me and you when we come into union with Jesus Christ. It is the greatest story ever told. Amen? A perfect biblical metaphor is adoption. Now we think of adoption, we think of little children. We think of adopting a small child. And Western culture, in modern society, I probably, all over the world today, mainly people adopt uh, out, of, out of compassion or their own loneliness. But biblical times, that really didn't happen. Biblical times, I don't see any record or, uh, that I know of. People adopted because they cared about a poor child who didn't have parents. People adopted... In biblical times, in fact, most people who were adopted were adults when they were adopted. People adopted because they didn't have an heir. And it was important to continue the lineage and continue the family's um, you know, place in the culture. And continue rulership like a king. They, if a king had no heir, they would ad- he would adopt a son who would be his heir. So it is with God. The Bible says we're heirs of God, and we're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. God adopted you, or if he hasn't, if you haven't entered into that, that's why I'm preaching this series. So you will become adopted into the family of God, and you will become an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. God is looking for heirs. He's looking for People to pass his wealth onto, to pass his power onto, his authority onto, his prestige onto, he's looking for people to save. A primary gospel principle is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, and it says, and God will generously provide all you need, then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Now, it's possible to misunderstand the difference between being saved by works and simply how salvation works. That's the text is not saying we earn his grace by being generous. What the text is saying is his grace equips us to be generous. His grace equips us for good works. You know, scripture says we're saved by faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. I believe it's Ephesians. I, I, I have trouble remembering where passages are found. If I kind of know where they are. I think it's Ephesians 2.9. We're saved by grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. Verse 10 says, we are his workmanship, created to do good works. <laughs> it's not saying we're saved by works. It's saying salvation works. Salvation equips you to have something to offer. It enriches you to have the ability to be generous in ways you've never been generous before. You're saved from poverty. You're saved from the poverty of lovelessness. You can't stay in a place of self-loathing because the cross of Jesus Christ constantly reminds you of your value. So you have love to give away. You're saved from the poverty of hopelessness. You have zero fear of death. That's one of the signs that you're saved. Is You're not afraid of death. You say, well, pastor, if you're not afraid of death, why don't you go, get, why don't you go have surgery for cancer and radiation? I'm not afraid to die. I just don't want to die badly. I didn't want to die. I don't want to die like that. I have no fear of death. I have no fear of leaving this life. Some days I really look forward to it. (laughs) Some days it's like, come on. So you're saved from the poverty of of hopelessness and the fear of death. That is the number one fear that mankind has because nothing that humanistic salvation... And there is a humanistic salvation, and it's better than nothing. I'm not a critical of humanistic salvation because it's better than nothing. But what humanistic salvation can never offer is victory over the fear of death. Only salvation in Jesus Christ can offer you victory over the fear of death. You're saved from the poverty of hopelessness. You're saved from the poverty of hate. You can't think about how much you were loved. And be capable of hate. So you have reconciliation to give. I'm not suggesting that we always give it. I'm not suggesting we're always Christ-like. We're not earning our way to heaven. But you're equipped. You're equipped. So the chances are better that you will be loving and reconciling. The chances are better if you are not neglecting your great salvation. (laughs) We'll preach on that before we're done. He said, "Do not neglect your, this great salvation. You're saved from the poverty of unforgiveness. Your saved status won't let you stay in bitterness because you've been forgiven of too much. You have forgiveness to share. If you don't have a sense that you've been forgiven of much, you need to come back to re- revisit the altar. You need to come back and revisit the altar. If you're, if you're like the Pharisee who's, who prayed and said, I thank God I'm not like other people. No, you are like other people. T- tell your neighbor, I'm like other people. Just tell them right now. Say, I am just like other people. One of the things that causes us to be resistant to salvation is we think we're different than everybody else. That we're not like other people. No, you're like other people. You're a human being. You have capacity capacities, and you have demonstrated in some place in your life a failure to be good, a failure to be righteous, a failure to be moral, a failure to be the person that you should be. You, have, you are guilty of sins of omission and commission. So am I. I need a Savior. You're saved also from the poverty of impossibilities, so being saved from a negative attitude you have positivity and you have hope to give to other people that's your rescue you are saved from poverty the second rescue i want to point out to you today is you're saved or we are rescued from our prisons colossians 1:14 along with transferring us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light the dominion of hopelessness to the dominion of hope the dominion of being excluded to the dominion of access, the kingdom of access, you are rescued from enslavement, from your prison, who purchased our freedom. Redemption, you know the word redemption means. The redemption means we were all slaves. That's what redemption means. Redemption is when you, in those days, people were purchased. People were purchased to be slaves, and if you were set free from slavery, the way you would be set free is someone would come, because you, you didn't have, you, no, the, a slave did not have the ability, the, the purchasing power to buy himself or to pay himself off. He could not go to his owner, no slave, no slave in the Middle East, no slave in that culture, had money in the bank, that's, I'm going to go down Monday morning, I'm not going to work, I'm going to go give my employer whatever I'm worth, and I'm walking free. No way. It didn't happen. If you were redeemed, someone else had to step in. Someone else who had the money, someone else who had the funds, someone else who had the ability. So anytime, anytime the Bible talks about our redemption, it's, it's implying that we were slaves. Redemptions means we're all slaves. Now, here's the thing. You have to live for something. Whatever you're living for is your master. The only master that doesn't enslave is Jesus. Anything else, anything else, your career, children, marriage, even ministry, anything can become a master. If you have any identity other than you are his child, you are not free. What is going to, What drives you, by the way? If I'm a child of the king, I'm driven by Jesus. It's hard to live in a community when we don't know Jesus as our Savior because we tend to hide and hate our struggles. We tend to hide and hate our struggles way too much. When our identity is in Jesus, it's so freeing. It's called the glorious liberty of the children of God. But if you think, well... My standing in life is blank. Fill in the blank. What, What gives you standing in life? Well, I'm a parent of great children. That's what gives me standing in life. I'm an owner of a great company. I'm a creator of a great career. I'm a possessor of unusual creativity. I'm the hardest worker that I know. I lead a great ministry. If, that what, if that's what gives me standing in my mind before people and even before God, then what's going to happen when my children disappoint me? I'm going to be crushed. What's going to happen when my career hits a wall? I will be crushed because functionally, Jesus isn't my Savior. When, when my obsessive work habits destroy intimacy in my relationship or it ruins my health, I'm going to be devastated because Jesus was not functionally my savior. When my social standing crumbles because somebody more powerful than me stepped in and I became less important in the world or in the community, I will be in despair because Jesus wasn't my savior. If your competence gives you meaning, you will panic when someone shows up who's more competent than you. I'm telling you, salvation is psychologically real. I said salvation, being saved, is psychologically real because it frees you from the false gods. It frees you from the false gods that tend to, we tend to glom on to, to get standing in the world. All other drivers but Jesus are a ball and chain and they will mercil- mercilessly destroy you because they're totally without grace there's no forgiveness with them you ready to be free your identity in Jesus get your identity in Jesus well you say but I still want to be a good parent and I still want to have a good career you'll be better at being a parent you'll be better at your career because you'll be free You'll, you'll be bolder to speak the truth. You'll be more effective. You'll be more energetic because you will be able to handle stress and you'll be able to handle failure better because your identity is not wrapped up in it. You, we all know what it's like to get our identity wrapped up in something besides Jesus. I, I still fall back into that. I still fall back into getting my identity wrapped up in something besides Jesus. The, the, the attendance in church is low. You think I? You think I go home shouting the praises of God when the attendance is low on Sunday morning? No, I have to. I have to. I have to find my way back to Jesus. I had to find my way back to Jesus and go, wait a minute, wait a minute, that congregation is not my, that's not what gives me meaning and value and worth in life. What gives me meaning and value and worth happened 2,000 years ago on a cross when the Son of God stretched himself out and died for my sins and died for me and died for my worth. That's what gives me value. That's what makes me know I'm somebody. Amen? Not because you show up for church. You should show up for church though. We're rescued thirdly and finally from penalties, from our penalties, and forgave our sins. And forgave our sins. If you don't have sin, you can't have salvation. It's a requirement. Well, I don't want to tell people they have sin. Well, can't save them then. Got to to give them bad news before you give them good news. It, but, but the freedom, is, it's kind of like if you ran a stop sign or you ran through a red light and hopefully you didn't get killed and they pull you over and they give you the fine, you are indebted. You have a debt of sin. Whatever the fine is, $150, $200, you, that's a debt of sin. You ran a stop sign. You weren't paying attention. Are you thought stop signs don't apply to me? (laughs) Those other stupid people that have to live cautiously. So you have that debt of sin. Whether you like it or not or agree with it, you have this debt of sin in your glove compartment that you ride around with. You know, uh, like every once in a while I get a parking ticket downtown. And I'll ride around. I'll carry that thing around as many days as I can because I don't want to go pay it. (laughs) But I'm not going to be free from that debt until it's paid. But when it's paid, it's just as though I had died as far as that debt is concerned. It's paid. That's what Jesus offers every one of you this morning. You can try to... You can try to... You can try to... Make up for your sins. You can try to say, I'll never do it again. Or you can come to the cross today and get a certificate that says paid in full. I say that's a good deal. I need that. Someone was interviewing uh, Jordan Peterson the other day. And they asked him about dark secrets and the assumption that we all have them. The hypothetical situation was presented to him. Say you cheated on your wife one time and you felt bad and you swore that you would never do it again and you you took that secret sin to the grave. Could you be forgiven of that transgression? And Peterson, who is uh, sort of a humanist, I'm not sure how to label him. I appreciate his insights and I get a lot out of listening to him, his biblical lectures. But he has not put his faith in Christ to bear his sins. He has not done that yet. Because he answered like this. They said, could you be forgiven of that transgression? And Peterson responded, perhaps I couldn't be. Now, like I said, I really like Peterson. But his philosophies are wed to a psychologist named Carl Jung. And the major difference between Carl Jung's philosophy And Christianity is Carl Jung saw the human story as a man's search for God. Christianity sees the human story as God's search for man. That's a big difference. Big difference. And someday I hope to listen to Peterson and when he's asked a question like that and him to say, yes, yes, I could be forgiven because Christ died for my transgressions. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, I don't have time this morning to offer all the proofs of our need for forgiveness of sins. I'd like to do that. I'd like to take an hour or two and talk about that. Because there's a... There's a rich, rich doctrine of forgiveness to talk about. And the more, I, the more I research it and the more I read about it, the more I appreciate it and the more I believe in it. So, but but uh, I don't have time to convince you if you're not convinced. I don't have time to convince the unconvinced here today probably that, that you need the forgiveness of sins. But I would just say I would offer one Um, rebuttal to those who would say I don't need the forgiveness of sins I I, I would offer one exhibit (laughs) in making a case for why we really know in our hearts we need the forgiveness of sins and that's this why all the blaming and the scapegoating if there's no need for the forgiveness of sins why are you terrified it being the one whose fault something bad was. When something goes wrong, why do you panic on trying to figure out who else in the family did it? And who else in the family or who else in the church or who else in society is causing the problem? A, a, a social norm among human beings all over the world is the practice of scapegoating. And it's a biblical picture. In fact, they actually had a goat that they called the scapegoat in the Old Testament. And every year on the Day of Atonement, they would lay hands on the goat and they would send the goat into the woods and into the wilderness to carry the sins of the people away. Psychologically, you know you need a scapegoat. That's why you're so good at blaming. And you're so good at figuring out why, it was, why she did it or he did it or the kids did it. And a lot of families work like this. If you get in discussion with families, they keep changing the scapegoat. <laughs> you know that's true, right? And, it, and, and this month, it's Bill that needs to change. And, and if we can just make him change, the family will be at peace and prosperous. And then next month, somebody else is in the doghouse. And the next month, somebody else in the doghouse. But if you ask me, it's never me, right? Never, never am I the person causing the problem. God, the Lord says, you know what? You guys are so screwed up. Why don't you just come and lay all of your sins on me? Why don't you just come? Why don't you quit playing the blame game? And why don't you do what the Bible says that the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all? That's what Jesus said on the cross. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They're, they're, they're so ignorant. They don't even know what you're doing. Forget trying to psychoanalyze all these people. Just put their sins on me. I love that. Somebody ought to be shouting here this morning. This ought to be a place ought to be a little more excited than it is right now, let me tell you. <laughs> now, um, this is where the hot sauce comes in. There's no time to offer all the reasons. Now, I, I, this is really important. <laughs> God had this moment for all of you this morning. He must have really cared about this moment because this is what I actually wrote in my notes before I walked in, okay? I knew I wouldn't have time to offer you all the reasons that you need to accept Christ as your personal Savior and the Savior of the world. And that's something we want to talk about later is personal Savior versus, not versus, but global Savior. It really begins with being global Savior before he's your personal Savior, but I knew you'd be more interested in you than you would the world, so I started the sermon series by talking about you, because <laughs> I know you really care about whether you go to hell <laughs> more than you care about the globe. <laughs> so I thought about, well, I need, to, I need to spend like 30 minutes to explain why we need to invite Christ into our lives, and uh, then I thought about, you know, they're not, not going to give me time for that, so there are three simple things that have been proven to my satisfaction, There are three simple things about God that have been proven to my satisfaction as I've studied the Scripture now for like 55, 56 years. That if the Bible said, here's what I said in my notes, that if the Bible said eating jalapenos is the way to salvation, I would do it. (laughs) And so I walk in. You going to put that up there? Put that up there? There we go. Salvation sauce. So if the Lord said... I'm going to give you some salvation sauce. And, and by the way, that Bible there has, is an actual Bible. Every word in the scripture is in that little Bible. If God said, this is the sauce, I'm convinced of three things. Here's the three things. Not, it's not in your notes. God is real. Number one. Number two, God is right. I have yet to find God wrong about anything. And I have tried with all of my life and all of my heart to prove him wrong. Just, just, I'll tell you one thing. He said, be sure your sins will find you out. I have proven that scripture is true. Because <laughs> I've never gotten by with anything. <laughs> Number three, and, and this is cool. Preachers love this when we can have three things that start with the same letter. That is, a, that is a high achievement. So don't miss the moment. God is redemptive. God is right. God is real. God is right. God is redemptive. So now that I know these things about God, if he says, Eat the, drink the hot sauce, I'm going to drink the hot sauce. Because God is real. God is right. And God is redemptive. <laughs> I've seen in the last battle in the of C.S. Lewis' trilogy, the warrior Emeth is introduced. And you see him walking across the grass. Jewel the unicorn whispers to the main character, by the lion's mane, I almost love the young warrior. This young warrior who's on the other side, who's against them. They're on the side of the lion, Aslan, he said, by the lion's mane, I almost love this young warrior. He is worthy of a better God than Tash. That was the God of the, 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 the adversary. My message to you today, my salvation message to you is you are worthy of a better God. You're worthy of a better God than your career, a better God than your children, a better God than your marriage, a better God than your ministry, a better God than your esteem in the community, a better God than your money. You are worthy of a better God. In a couple of weeks, I'll go more in depth on how to be saved. In fact, Jay's going to be preaching next week because uh, I've got, I've got it. we're going to go out of town for something. And Jay's going to be preaching the, uh, the next sermon in the series but week after next, I want to talk to you about how to be saved. But there's one key action or attitude that will set you up for salvation. It, I will illustrate it by telling you what happened to me when I was six years old. And me, Johnny Crow, and Joe McCutcheon, my brother, were swimming across Barton Springs in Austin, Texas. And I'm a little boy, and I can barely swim. But I'm trying to swim with these two big guys. In the middle of Barton Springs, I lost my nerve. And I started to go under. And those two teenage boys started trying to save me. And I began to fight and fight and fight. And I almost drowned all three of us. Until I, they finally wore me down. And I wasn't able to fight anymore. And when I quit fighting, they were able to save me. When I had no more strength on my own. Some of you are fighting against God. Some of you are fighting against God. Some of you are trying to fight in the place of God. Either way, it will prevent Christ from saving you. If you will stop fighting God and stop trying to fight for God and say, God, I'm, I'm helpless. Save me. I want you to... Some of you are going to take that walk this morning. I know. You're going to walk down here and you're going to pray with our prayer partners. And I want to, prayer partners, I want you to come right now. As they come, I just want to, one of my favorite lyric, l- lyrically songs, lyrics of a song that I've heard in a long time is Chainbreaker. And I know many of you have heard that song. It says, if you've been walking the same old road for miles and miles, If you've been hearing the same old voice, tell the same old lies. If you're trying to fill the same old holes inside, we've all searched for the light of day and the dead of night. We've all found ourselves worn out from the same old fight. We've all run to things we know just ain't right. There's a better life. If you've got pain, there's a pain taker. If you feel lost, he's a way maker. If you need freedom or saving, he's a prison shaking savior. If you've got chains, He's a chain breaker. Come and be prayed for. Anything that's going on in your life that is inconsistent with the love and freedom of Christ, come and get prayed for about that right now. Take communion. This is the response time at Bethany. Appreciate your great salvation, all of you believers. Okay?